Can't Wait for Christmas is a proud member of the Christmas Podcast Network. Check out all the shows on the network at christmaspodcastnetwork.com. Hey, buddy, what you doing? Is it Christmas yet? No, sorry, not yet. I can't wait for Christmas. Yeah, I can't wait for Christmas either. In fact, let's celebrate now. <laughs> Welcome to the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. <laughs> Welcome, Yule Believers, to this special Christmas Podcast Day bonus edition of the Can't Wait for Christmas Podcast. Yes, this is the show all about Christmas history, Christmas traditions, Christmas media, and everything else Christmas. But we're not the only ones out there. There are a bunch of Christmas podcasts in the world, and a bunch of us have taken today, November 1st, to celebrate the fun of Christmas podcasts with special episodes, bonus content, and other Christmas goodness. I'm very lucky because I get to celebrate Christmas Podcast Day by having a truly great Christmas podcaster as my guest. If you're looking for a podcast that digs deep to find the most interesting stories of Christmas, you can't go wrong with Christmas Past. The host of the show, Brian Earle, is also the author of the book that just dropped today, Christmas Past, the fascinating stories behind our favorite holidays traditions. And he is my guest today for Christmas Podcast Day. So welcome to the Christmas Cave, Brian Earle. Hey, thanks, Tim, and happy Podcast Day to you, too. Or Christmas podcast day. <laughs> yes, you can smell that Christmas podcast day magic in the air. <laughs> so yours is a podcast that I have admired for a very long time. And I'm very lucky that like in the world of Christmas podcasts that we happen to live near each other. We do. In like f- like physically near each other. Like it's it's weird. Like the the two of us. Not only that, we both moved in the past couple of years and we moved near each other. <laughs> Yeah, we lived a little farther apart first, and then we both moved around the same time, and it was pretty close to one another. So I presume when we buy our third house, we're just going to be next door neighbors, and we're going to go yeah, walk yeah, down to the lawn every morning to grab our paper and wave at each other. Yep. <laughs> so since it's National Podcast Day, and I'm interviewing one of the you know the 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 grand poobahs of Christmas podcasting, I thought I would interview you. Uh, I would ask you uh, some of the questions that uh, that all Christmas podcasters get asked mm-hmm. and then really get to the heat of the meat and talk about uh, your podcast. And, of course, your new book that is dropping today as we speak. Mm-hmm. So here's the uh, obvious question that we all get asked as Christmas podcasters. Brian, why'd you pick a Christmas podcast? Well, it all started back in like 2015, and it wasn't that I wanted to start a Christmas podcast. It's that I went looking for a particular kind of Christmas podcast, and then it it didn't exist. And I said to myself, I can't be the only one who wants to have a podcast like this, and so maybe I'll give it a try myself. And this is the kind of thing, for anyone who's never heard my show before, it's sort of like, imagine if NPR had a Christmas podcast, or at least that's the effect I'm going for. So I wanted something that's a bit of a nerdy deep dive into the histories behind Christmas traditions, but also felt engaging, that there is some storytelling and blending of voice and music and sharing people's Christmas memories and and all of that. And, you know, at the time, back in 2015, there was a small handful of Christmas podcasts. There was a a great one called The Christmas Stocking, which sadly is no longer around, but I, I still think it's one of the best ever. And then a couple of I think yours came around like either right around the time I did or shortly after that uh, in 2016, 2017, around there. 2015, I think was, yeah. Did you beat me to it? I guess so. 
Oh my gosh! Well, I wouldn't. Congrats. I wouldn't say in any sense of the word that I beat you, but yes, I was <laughs> doing my show in 2015. <laughs> but no, I mean, I think what led up to all of that was, you know, I, I'd been thinking for a while that Christmas isn't the most wonderful time of the year. It's not only that; it's also the most fascinating because there's no other cultural phenomenon where we so drastically change the way that the world looks and smells and feels. We change our behaviors and our attitudes. And like, we even change the way we talk. We, we use words like humbug and tiz and twas. And then, and then we <laughs> stop doing that around January. And it's not unique to Christmas, right? I'm just generally talking about the idea of festivity, the, how we change things about the world and ourselves to mark the passage of time and all of that, which I think is interesting in its own right. It's one of the things that makes us human. But then with, within Christmas, which is the most dramatic example of that, there are all these traditions. And for every single one of them, there's a story. There's a reason why we do it. And it's a story that you probably haven't heard all of, even if you think you have. And for every tradition that we celebrate, there is a bunch that we don't anymore. And that's interesting, too, because the Christmas that you and I celebrate every year is this collection of traditions from all over the world in different times in history. But it's not the complete collection, like like not even close to the complete collection. And it's not the final collection because Christmas is always evolving. And this is something I talk about. It's the last chapter of the book. It's like... If Christmas is constantly changing, what changes are we living through now? What is happening in our lifetimes that is going to be part of the permanent change to Christmas in generations going forward? And so every tradition that I talk about on the show, I learn just how new the Christmas we celebrate really is. And I think probably Mm -hmm. some of the most two dramatic examples of that would be like, number one, Christmas trees which, you know, your favorite internet know-it-all will tell you it's actually a pagan tradition. And there, there is a grain of truth to that, sort of. Um, but Christmas trees as something that every house that celebrates Christmas having, especially in America, that's really like post-Civil War, like 1870s is when they started to show up. And then it wasn't until it became a commercial crop that you could buy at a Christmas tree lot that it really took off. And that's like the beginning of the 19th century. So this is like, for me, that, that's like my great-great-grandparents Right. That's not Mm -hmm. ancient history. These are people I have pictures of who are like some of the first people to have a Christmas tree. Uh, And, you know, you've probably talked about this yourself. uh, Santa Claus, at least as we know him today, the image we have is from the 1930s. I mean, there are people alive today who are older than Santa Claus himself. And so those are the kinds of things I was thinking. Like That is really fascinating. And I wanted to create a way of thinking and talking about Christmas where that curiosity and fascination was front and center. So that was my journey into Christmas podcasting. I, it wasn't like, hey, I want to start a podcast. This podcasting thing is hot. Everyone seems to have one. What's mine going to be about? <laughs> I went looking for something that didn't exist, and I took it upon myself to try making it. And I should say I had absolutely no business doing any of this. I'm, I'm not an academic. I'm not a storyteller. I'm not a journalist. I'm a software designer who didn't even own a microphone at the time. And you know, I fumbled my way through, and here we are seven seasons later and a book. Yeah, but you're crushing. Like, of course, you had business doing this. Like, I feel like, and I also, I I love the conceit that someone is listening to this and has never listened to your show. I feel like there is, like, the Venn the Venn diagram of my listeners and your listeners is a circle inside your listeners. Oh, I'm I'm not so sure about that. (laughs) So it's I I I almost feel like I'm almost embarrassed to ask this question, but I feel like every Christmas podcaster gets asked this question, and. I feel like your answer would be more interesting than most, but like, I feel like people constantly ask like, don't you think you're going to run out of material eventually? It's impossible. 
I've I've actually done the math. I think I would have to live to be, you know, well over 150 years old before I even scratch the surface. I mean, no, it, it is an endless topic. And and I really mean that. I sometimes I I wonder um just how long Christmas past can go. You know, I kind of keep thinking, well, I want to take it to at least year 10 and then kind of see where things are. But then every time I think about it like that, I'm like, but then but then I wouldn't get to this and then I wouldn't get to that. I mean, I think mm-hmm. there is some validity that eventually you're going to run out of all the the common stuff. You're going to get through Santa and Rudolph and Frosty and wreaths and, and, and then you start getting into the weird stuff, right? And that's the part I, I feel worried about is because the promise of the show was that it tells the stories behind your favorite Christmas traditions. And so if eventually I'm at the point where I'm talking about traditions from another country that you've never heard before, well, now I'm doing something totally different. But even then, I'm still not worried. There are so many topics that are still left to be done uh, that I really don't think I I could live long enough to, to, to do them all. Yeah. And I sort of went, I sort of went a different way, whereas I started seeking out odd stuff that I wouldn't already know about. And I think yours is even more interesting in that you, you seem like I did a whole episode about Jingle Bells and yours is like you, yours took, I would say half the time that my, like in terms of length of my episode, yours took about half the length, but I feel like you packed in way more information. Like how, how do you get these details? How do you find, well, like, where do you do your research? How do you do it? It's, I mean, it's usually the, the first season, I think I did too, a little too much research and I look at some of my old notes and outlines and I was just trying to, I kind of felt like I had to know everything about the topic in order to make the, the uh, episode. Whereas now I realize I need to know enough to tell the story, right? That That's all I'm trying to do. I mean, I'm not positioning myself as any kind of expert. I'm leaning on these subject matter experts. And so the first step is always Number one, to find out whether or not there is a story. Uh, there's a reason I haven't done an episode about Christmas stockings yet. It's because there's really nothing there. I mean, there's there's mm-hmm. really no history behind it, or, or at least not a compelling story. Uh, so number one is like, make sure that there is something to say, and then find the number one most qualified person I can to say it. And you know, there is. I've had conversations with linguists and botanists and historians and the president of the Holly Association. I mean, like for every topic, there is someone who's basically dedicated their lives to it or a significant part of their lives to it. And so for Jingle Bells, I talked to a woman named Kina Hamill, who wrote a story uh, or a paper rather, and I believe it was published in an academic journal. And it had to do with how the song was originally performed in blackface in a minstrel hall in Boston. And she was presenting it as just like, those are facts, right? There's you know no editorializing or contextualizing. That's simply the fact of the matter. But then mm-hmm. people from you know certain end of the political spectrum were um, you know really coming down at her saying, oh, this is just part of the war on Christmas and all that stuff. And you know, she, she and I, it wasn't part of the episode, but we talked about her experience with all of that. And part of me is like, even that is fascinating. Uh, I've done a story on the war on Christmas. There was a survey that came out last year, a, a large one too, that says like 37% of Americans really truly believe that there is some kind of war on Christmas. And regardless on, of where you come down on that issue, it's still that's the fact. That's that's the part of the you know the, the culture of Christmas nowadays. And so as someone who sort of thinks about these things and or tries to anyway in a larger context of just like, what, what does this mean about where Christmas has been, where it is now and where it's going? I, I think those things are, are really, really fascinating. 
Yeah. So when it comes to the, the episodes, getting back to the ideas, you know, number one, you find the, the story, you find the best person to help you tell it. And then you, you, what you end up with is a bunch of raw material that you then have to shape into something. And I think if you listen to a couple of my shows, you, you realize pretty quickly, I, I basically have like three techniques that I use to tell stories. <laughs> uh, I use, it's either I'll start out with some anecdote where I save the most important piece of information for very last, right? I'm sort of like, you, you don't quite understand what I'm saying. And then I sort of use it as a punchline. And then that's the intro to the, the whole episode. Or I drop you right into the middle of a conversation I'm having, and then I sort of come in and voiceover and say, I'm talking to so-and-so about such and such, and <laughs> sort of bring some content. Like, those are basically, I've gotten a lot of mileage out of those those two tricks. That's my uh, pretty much the, the way that I, I do that. And then in the middle of the episode, I, it's probably like three or four points, and I just kind of lay them out in the right order. And then go and, and do the Christmas memory. And, and this is the backstory episodes, I should say. I do other episodes where I do interviews and um, mm -hmm. trivia games and things like that. But I think the heart and soul of the show are those backstories. And someone, I remember it was maybe in 2020, I was on someone else's podcast and they said, uh, you know, when I listen to your episodes, they're 10 minutes long, but somehow they feel longer. And I, <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm not sure how to take that because I could go either way. But I think what, what they really meant is because like in 10 minutes, you, you kind of go through like three or four or five sections of stuff. It, it tends to feel like it's a little bit more than it is. And that's mm -hmm. um, it wasn't deliberate at first. But then once I realized the effect that it creates on the listener, I was like, oh, OK, I'm going to try to capitalize on that and actually make it part of how I write. And speaking of how you write, that was that leads into my next question. As I was going to ask, you sort of talked about it where you you find the experts, um, but. So do you find the expert first, talk to them, and then write the episode? Or do you do research, start writing the episode, find the expert? Is it a, some sort of combination? Like how does, the, how does that process work? It's a combination of that. I usually want to do enough research so that when I talk to the expert, I, I sound like I know what I'm talking about. We can have a meaningful conversation. Uh, then whatever gaps I feel like are left after the conversation, I usually go back and like, okay, this is the points these people are making. And then these are the things I feel like I still need to do a little bit more research to kind of fill in the blanks. And again, like the idea isn't that I'm going to read everything ever written about the topic. It's I'm just trying to tell the story and I'm trying to be accurate. So there are times where if I read a statistic that seems a little off, I'll usually check three sources. I usually try to get firsthand sources rather than just, you know, quoting things that I find online. Um, and there are times, you know, like where a lot of Christmas information is just stuff getting passed around the echo chamber, where I'll give you one example, um, Pfeffernusse, the those little German spicy cookies. God bless you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what was it? There's a spice in it. It's either cardamom or one of the spices in it that at, at a, the time was considered to be uh, stimulating, almost like caffeine. And some people actually also believe that it had aphrodisiac qualities. And so there is an anecdote where the brothers Grimm wrote a letter to their sister saying, hey, you know, watch out for those Pfeffernerse because, you know, they have that effect. And I was like, okay, I mean, A, I, you know, definitely would love to see that letter if it's somewhere, right? That would, that would be pretty exciting. And then second of all, what I want to do is find uh, an example or a reference to that anecdote somewhere other than a Wikipedia page without a source, or someone's <laughs> blog post. Like, where is it? I need to trace it back to a primary source before I feel comfortable sharing it. And so that's where there's sometimes a little extra time comes in. Mm -hmm. Like, if, if I didn't hear it right from the horse's mouth, I definitely at least want to hear it from um, as close to the source as I can get. And so that, that usually takes a little extra time. Yeah. 
Cause I, like, like that, you, like that's journalistic integrity. Like people don't understand. This is not just a Christmas podcast. <laughs> I mean, it is literally a Christmas podcast, but it's not like, you know, just like, I don't know. Oh, for funsies, I'm talking about Christmas. Like you put in the work. I do what I can. Um, and it's, you know, <laughs> this is for me too, right? I'm satisfying my own curiosity and also kind of curating my own curiosity. So the output of this is, yes, it's a podcast episode, but I've also taken this topic I was curious about, taken the information I've gathered with it, uh, about it, and then shaped it into something. So I, I kind of feel like when I'm doing the episodes, and I, I tended to do this more in the beginning than I do now, um, you know, that the way that I layer in the music and sometimes I'll make a point and then the music comes up loud and then fades down. It's kind of feels like I'm putting something together. I'm, I'm there's, I hate to use the word compose because that sounds more important than it is, but you know, the, these, the, the episodes are, they're compositions where I'm, you know, laying the information out in a certain way to create a certain effect on the use uh, the listener. So yeah, like there's, um, it's mostly about just getting the, the shape of things just right and trying to get it all to fit into, you know, that 10 or 15 minute little, you know, it's supposed to be the kind of thing you can listen to an episode while you wrap a present or two or about the time it takes you to drive down to the store to do some Christmas shopping. They're supposed to feel like little quick hits. Right. Now, you touched on this before with the stockings. Has there been a topic that you went you wanted to get into and you just for whatever reason couldn't make it work? Well, for the longest time, it was Christmas trees. Uh, and finally, oh. this year, I mean, seven years in, I'm finally doing Christmas. I'm actually doing a whole week on Christmas trees this season. But And part of the reason was I just could not find somebody to speak knowledgeably about them. And, you know, like I said, there are all kinds of experts on the topic. Uh, there is a Christmas tree association, for example. There are people who, you know, own Christmas tree farms. There are – and the – the thing is, with a tradition like that that goes back uh, farther than anybody actually knows, you know, we we know when the first Christmas tree likely came about, but it didn't just come out of nowhere. It, it probably was, you know, the, the continuation of an earlier tradition and earlier and earlier. No one really knows where it started. Um, and so those kinds of things can be frustrating where, like, you don't really know, like, whether you can get all of the information that you want. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's where I often throw up my hands and go like, I, I just say, look, th this source says this, this source says that, neither one seems to be the one. So I've just told you what they both say and you can <laughs> you can figure it out from there. Whereas you are like, nope, I'm going to drill down and find out which one of these two is lying. <laughs> and the, the great thing is, how, yeah, it's <laughs> with a lot of topics, like some of the leading thinkers around them are still alive, right? Jerry Bowler is probably the leading historian, living historian on the history of Christmas. Uh, he's still around. He's been on my show twice. Uh, there was Kara Marling, who I, I believe passed away recently. But for example, I did something on the history of writing letters to Santa Claus. And I spoke with uh, what's her, Nancy Pope at the Postal Museum as part of the Smithsonian Institution. And again, this is the, the kind of people I, I track down and talk to, or you know, people mm -hmm. like that. Um, and she recently passed away. And you know, the longer I'm doing the show, the more I'm realizing I'm sort of catching some of these people at the right time. Like there's, you know, the the, the people who hold this information won't be here forever. One of the episodes I have coming out this season is, you know, those popcorn tins that show up on the shelves around Christmas time. Oh, yes. And it's like, how? What? When did that happen? What What does popcorn have to do with Christmas? Well, I talked to the guy who's responsible for that. This guy named Bob Ram from St. Louis. He's, he's still very much alive and told me the whole story of how that happened. Um, so there have been some 
topics where I, you know, I really wanted there to be more there. I think stockings is a great example. I think from the very first season, I wanted to do something about it. And I still look every now and then I'm still like, there must be something I'm overlooking. There must be some, if not the origin story, something about them that I can tell as an interesting story about, you know, the, the context behind them, but I just haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Sometimes the topic just like, it doesn't lend itself to, uh, a, a generous, you know, like an, a deep cut, a deep dive. Like it doesn't like you know, stockings happened. We're not sure why, but now we have them. Like I think there's this rumor. example of that is, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we know why, right. But there's, there's just still not like a lot there to say, certainly not enough to, to make an episode of. And that was really going back to the idea of like the vision for the show. I could totally read you the Wikipedia page about Christmas stockings. Right. But that's just, that's not what I do. And that's not what I want mm-hmm. to do. I think eggnog is another one like that, where it's, you know, there's some tidbits. You know, there was that famous eggnog riot at um, West Point. Okay. There's that. And then the fact that George Washington used to serve some version of eggnog at um, uh, at his estate. And that, like a lot of Christmas foods, eggnog didn't start out as a Christmas thing, right? It was just, it was a mm. very common beverage for the winter, uh, and then eventually became exclusively associated with Christmas. So I actually did an episode about it, but it's honestly, you know, if you had, if I had to pick my top five episodes that I'm most proud of, the eggnog one just absolutely would not be in there. I think <laughs> there was like just enough to form it into something, but um, but not not enough. I keep I keep putting on eggnog is a topic I want to cover as well, but from the point of view of someone who does not like it, like oh, I've I, never I, liked I, eggnog, really? and so. I thought it might be entertaining to to be like to make it sort of like a, a Grinch who drank eggnog sort of thing where like it's, you know, I come into it with a negative thing, but come out of it positive. Like that's what I'm that's what I plan to do. But that requires me to drink a bunch of eggnog and I have I'm not ready for that yet. Well, there's a video I saw online that I've been meaning to try. It's from America's Test Kitchen. And it's sort of like that where one chef is talking to another and saying, oh, if you don't like eggnog, it's probably because you've been drinking the stuff you buy at the grocery store, which is you know, a pale comparison to something made fresh. And so they go through how to make an actual eggnog, which I'd kind of like to try. But the reason I haven't so far is because I'm perfectly happy to drink the, the stuff off the shelf. <laughs> I, I was that way with gingerbread. Like for the longest time, I thought I didn't like gingerbread until one time I was at Disneyland and I had taken, I had, uh, my mom had actually gotten us this special tour thing where they take you, like they take you through the history of Christmas at Disneyland. Like you have a guided tour mm-hmm. and it ends with like VIP seats for the Christmas parade and they give you a freshly baked gingerbread cookie. And I'm like, well, this is the business. <laughs> if this is what gingerbread tastes like. Then I'm on board. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, gingerbread varies so widely. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I like the dark, spicy, soft kind, you know, it's like sometimes you get this like light crisp thing that barely it's just like a brown sugar cookie. There's not a lot of flavor in it. Yes. And, those and that's what I norm- that's what I associated with gingerbread until then. I'm like, mm. it's like a like you said, a sugar cookie, but like not a particularly new sugar cookie. Like, yeah, oh, we baked <laughs> exactly. that. <laughs> we we baked <laughs> that for Halloween for some reason. And we just let it sit around until Christmas. Have a, have one. <laughs> I think I was similar on on fruitcake. I never disliked it. I always liked it, um, but I never really had a good one until fairly recently, actually. Uh, there's once there's a, a group of monks in Kentucky, it's like the Gethsemane Monastery, I want to say. Um, mm-hmm. And this, this is like their whole thing. That's basically how they support the monastery is that they make a bunch of fruitcakes every year. Uh, and they, they inject it with alcohol and the whole bit. And it, it's night and day. It's like if you've had one from a bakery or from, you know, God forbid, bought it off a store shelf, uh, it, it's a, it's a totally different animal. Mm-hmm. You're not a fruitcake guy. 
Oh, no. I, well, I have, the problem is I can't remember ever actually having fruitcake, either off the shelf or like something. For, like I've never I don't have a memory of like having fruitcake. And it's just so maligned. Like it is the I mean, it is the black sheep of Christmas, really. Like <laughs> no one speaks highly of fruitcake, yet it's somehow around every year. This is another no thing. Like, I, I, oh. <laughs> I talked about that in the episode that I did. And I talk about it a little bit in the book where. This is another thing I find really interesting is there's so much of Christmas that it's almost like the parts that get fossilized, you know, where we talk about sugar plums, even though they aren't even around, or you vaguely hear about mm-hmm. wassail and hot buttered rum, and you use words like the Lord is, or phrases like the Lord is come. And it's like, well, what does that even mean? I'm, I'm saying it, but I'm not understanding it. And I feel like fruitcake is on the verge of that. It's still here. But but we all hate it for some reason. And it wasn't mm-hmm. always that way. It, people used to love it. Now they hate it. And I, I kind of feel like it's on its way out. And then it, too, will be one of those things that it just exists in, you know, that song, We Need a Little Christmas. They say, slice up the fruitcake. You know, like the, the, the mentions of it and images of it will be around, even if the thing itself will not. Well, it's like roasting chestnuts. I mean, maybe this is a Calif- maybe it's because I'm born and raised California, but I've never roasted a chestnut or had or it's been around someone who was. <laughs> you find them in the Northeast, like in New York, but they're not okay. from America anymore. Like they bring them in from Asia. And I did an episode about this last year where in the 1940s, or yeah, right around there, there was a chestnut blight. So some um, Japanese, I want to say Japanese, uh, uh, chestnuts were brought in from another country and they were infected and they basically wiped out all American chestnuts. So, and it was literally two or three years after they wrote the song chestnuts roasting on an open fire that all of a sudden chestnuts just vanished from Christmas. And so again, like they're, they, they're fossilized. They're in, they're part of Christmas somehow, but it's more like we mention them rather than actually experience them. Yeah. So I, I, to steer it back to, I mean, the reason I have you on the show is to elevate the quality of my show, but the reason you agreed <laughs> is because you have a book coming out today. I do, yeah. uh, Christmas past the fascinating stories behind our favorite holidays traditions. Now I wanted to know, was it, did you find it difficult or challenging the difference between writing for a book versus writing for your podcast? Like, cause uh, I know, I know the topics are like the, there's obviously overlap with the topics. Like they come from the show, but like it's, is the narrative, is the narrative process different for a book than for the show? Oh yeah, 100%. And the first thing is my, my show is scripted. Um, and if you listen to show and listen to me talking now, it's probably pretty obvious why, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I tend to do better when I'm reading from a script, but also, you know, again, the, the way that I'm writing is for the ear. So you hear a lot of partial sentences and a lot of repeating clauses if I want something to kind of, you know, rise and fall in a certain way. Right. And, you know, when you put that on the page, it doesn't read right. When I looked at some of my episode scripts, I was thinking, oh, like I can probably use a lot of this. A lot of the book is already written. And to a large extent, that's, you know, we I capitalized on the, the work that I'd already done. But it wasn't the intention to just like take the podcast script and just, you know, put it on the page. I really needed to rework the content to make it something new and different. And that was really the impetus for writing the book. It's like, well, my mission with all of this project is to tell the stories behind Christmas traditions. And, you know, the podcast was just one way of doing that. I mean, there's books, there's different ways to do the content with different books. And when I pitched this, what I said was, you know, what I really want this to be is 
like the podcast, the chapters will be short. There are going to be 25 of them so that you could, you know, it's the kind of thing you can read one while you're having your morning coffee. And it's almost like a little advent calendar. You could read one per day during the Christmas season as you to kind of get into the spirit. But then I also wanted it to be very visual. So in the book, you see the main content, but then there's lots of little sidebars and tidbits and pictures and factoids and things like that. So it's meant to be uh, not only informative, but you know some, something to look at. We have a lot of old illustrations and old uh, images that we put in there. Um, the, the page design is, you know, the, the type is meant to look a little bit old timey. There's a, a uh, what do you, what's that word? Like a, like a faux aging texture on the page to make it look a little bit old. So, you know, I was just noticing that when I was looking at the, the look inside thing on Amazon, Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, look at like the, the, like you said, the texture, like the, like the visual of it, it makes it look like a, you know, an old, an artifact of Christmas past, Christmas past. Well done with that name. (laughs) And (laughs) Yeah, and, and that makes sense for some of the more ancient traditions. But then, you know, to to read the chapter about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer on those pages is probably a little bit, um, uh, what's the word? An odd juxtaposition. In, we'll leave it at that. Incongruous, yeah. Yeah, incongruous. But then again, for most of us, like, Rudolph has just always been. Like, there's, there. I mean, there's, I'm sure there's a segment, I mean, I'm not, I'm sure, I know that there's a segment of the population that remembers the time before Rudolph was a thing. But for most of us, we have born, been born into a world with Rudolph, and it seems like, just like Santa, he, as old as time, like, th- that has always existed. And so, it makes sense to, to, and so I, I'm, I don't think it would necessarily be that incongruous, I guess is what I'm saying, for most people reading it. But well, then when you read the information, the, you find out like, oh, it was it's newer than you would imagine, like at least the telling of Rudolph's story. Yeah, if anything, it, it sort of illustrates one of the main themes of the book and the podcast, which is you know, most of what makes up Christmas. Think of the parts of the Christmas season that are aerosolized, if you like, right? Like, the, the you know, the music that's in the air and the, the Christmas lights and all that, like – well, take out Christmas lights, for example, but, you know, all the movies and the music and the characters. I mean, all of those occurred in one lifetime. I mean, all the classic mm-hmm. Christmas move, uh, music doesn't stretch back any farther than the 40s. Like, that's, you know, my mom's age. And then all this stuff before that, like Christmas lights and Christmas trees, it's not much older than that. Like, it really isn't. I mean, for a holiday that has its roots in this millennia-old religious story and has tons of ancient symbol, uh, symbolism built into it, the majority of what we experience as Christmas is is like three or four generations old, maximum. And so... That's I just I find that really, really interesting. And so, sure. I mean, can Rudolph go on a, a fake aged page? Well, I guess it does make sense on the one hand, but I guess on the other hand, it, it kind of helps illustrate that point. So so I think it works. On, it, it, so it works on two levels, I would say. Yeah. But at the end of the day, look, I'm just trying to it was time to take the the work that I've been doing over the last seven years and just kind of, you know, Number one, introduce it to a different audience. I mean, you're a podcaster. You see the statistics. Even in this day and age, here we are in 2022, podcasts are, what, like 20 years old now? And you see the stats of like how many people listen to podcasts, you know, compared to like how many people listen to the radio or watch TV. There's still a lot of people for whom podcasts are this newfangled thing on that internet machine, you know. Um, I I read a statistic that still more people, more students, more college age students still read magazines than read the internet regularly. I was like, that cannot be true. That is 100% not true. 
But so, um, granted, it was like the Society of Magazines or something that put out the statistics. <laughs> so maybe it was just wishful thinking. But even the idea that that could even someone could even entertain it as as truth is just like it's weird how old media will not make way for the new media. Like the new media mm-hmm. doesn't just does not have the grip on the pop the the. The populace is not the word again, not the word I'm looking for. Maybe this is why people don't listen to my podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but like it does, it hasn't in the popular culture hasn't embraced it as much as say like you know television or radio. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's it's not that it, you know one form of media replaces the other one. It more like it just fractures the landscape. Right. Um, and so you know, bringing it back to the book, the idea that you know you don't really give podcast episodes as a gift. Uh, you can't unwrap it. You can't thumb through it. So you know, it's I, I wanted to take the work that I've been doing and just uh, introduce it to uh, a new set of people, introduce it in a different form. Uh, and you know, like at the end of the day, I wanted to contribute something to Christmas. I think really that's what you know Christmas past was all about. Is I basically had the gall to believe that if this thing worked out, that I'd be you know putting something out there that becomes part of people's Christmas. And, you know, I think after the first couple seasons, it was a bit of slow growth at first, but you know, that's, that's born itself out. And so I kind of felt mm-hmm. like, okay, I think I'm ready for the next phase to go, go up the next rung on the ladder and just continue to grow. And if you think about it, the next generation of podcasters who come along, some of them are going to use your book as reference for their Christmas podcast. Oh gosh, I hope not. Um, oh, maybe they can. <laughs> Well, because that's like the thing. You're like, going to really be the careful. expert that's on. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I'm just careful to present myself as not an expert. I'm not an historian. I, I rely on those people and I rely on myself to accurately tell their story in an engaging way. Um, so I'm always, I still feel taken aback when people reach out to me as an expert on Christmas. I'm like, no, I'm just a guy who talked to some experts on Christmas and shaped it into something that you can listen to. But that's how experts get made by talking to other experts and, and amassing knowledge. And that's all you've been doing for the past. That's not all you've been doing. He's been busy. He has. Yeah, he, I have a two year old. He's, he's doing lots of things. He, he just had a kid. <laughs> yeah, I heard was saying one time that a, uh, an expert is someone from out of town with a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> but I just think like in future podcasts, they're going to be like, oh, I have Brian Earl on to talk about this. And they're going to be like, oh, I can't believe we got him. I'm always I'm grateful for whenever anyone invites me on. I was on a small handful of Christmas podcasts so far this season. And, you know, the the, the Christmas podcast world has exploded since you and I came on. And I'm assuming that's true. Podcast discovery is always going to be hard. I mean, for all I know, back in 2015, 2016, I was just missing out on a lot of great Christmas podcasts. But mm-hmm. you and I know that, you know, it was pretty barren in 2015, 2016, even 2017, then 2018. Um, there, you know, the, the deck, the Hallmark guys came out and then I feel like it was just, you know, just like an explosion for a long time. I was even trying to solve the problem of discovery by curating a list of every Christmas podcast out there and very quickly discovered that it's impossible. I mean, just too many are popping up and it's too hard to know about them. Well, Brian, I am so glad to have you on the show today. As you mentioned, your show has a definite NPR vibe. And one of my favorite NPR shows is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, where they end every celebrity interview with a game called Not My Job, where they ask the person trivia questions about something outside their normal field of expertise. So I'd like to close out our interview with a game I'm calling Not My Holiday, where I'll ask you three questions about holidays other than Christmas. If you get two or more correct, you'll win a prize for one of our listeners. A prize, I should mention, that you provided. A copy of 
save your book, Christmas Past, the fascinating stories behind our favorite holidays traditions. Now, to pick the listener, we've had people posting on social media and tagging us saying they'd like to win a copy of your book. And now we're going to pick one at random that you're going to play for. Imaginary listener that sounds kind of like Kermit the Frog, who is Brian Earl playing for today? Brian, you'll be playing for David from Indiana. All right. Good luck, Brian. Here we go. Okay. I hope I do you right. It's a lot on the line. There is. It's high stakes. It's the Olympics, World Cup, this. <laughs> well, it's like like getting a lump of coal in your stock. I mean, if you oh yeah, oh because oh, this well, is no. there, this is I mean this is a Christmas gift on the line we're talking about. You're right. You're right. So okay, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So Halloween was the day before this episode drops. But what you may not know is the day before Halloween is another holiday. Is it A, Manadonna Christmas, a holiday celebrating the birth of a soccer player from Argentina? B, Galactic Independence Day, a day that celebrates the Rebel Alliance's victory over the Galactic Empire in the Star Wars films? Or C, Tapeworm Appreciation Day, a day set aside to honor the positive attributes of this much maligned parasite? I, I mean, I really want it to be C. Um, <laughs> but okay, so hold on. I have a clarifying question about the Star Wars one. Is that the day we hear? Is that the day that the victory was supposed to have happened in like outer space calendar? Like, is there October in the Star Wars universe? No, no. It's, uh, it's, so it, if B were the answer, it yeah. would be the uh, the day in the real world. You know, like they've done with May the 4th. Like they just arbitrarily right, decided right. this is the day we're celebrating. Oh, man. I mean, I doubt there's going to be a tapeworm appreciation or that there any reason at all to appreciate a tapeworm. <laughs> uh, and Star Wars fans do tend to do things like that. So I'm going to go with B. I'm afraid it was A. Oh, man. The one so you never expect. An, there's an, a religion called Iglesia Mana. Hang on. I gotta, I gotta, <laughs> I've got to read this correctly. Iglesia Maradoniana a religion centered around the Argentinian footballer Diego Manadona. They celebrate their Christmas on his birthday, October 30th, and their Easter is June 22nd to commemorate the day that Manadona scored two goals that allowed Argentina to beat England in the World Cup 2-1. Which raises the question, what is a religion? <laughs> now, in fairness, I should say that the Wikipedia describes it as a satirical religion, but other things I looked at when I looked this up online, like it seemed like some people take it quite seriously. And I should say, Tapeworm Appreciation was my second version of that. My original one was uh, Wombat Appreciation Day, which I found out actually is a thing. So I had to take that off the list. Oh, that doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, who doesn't love a wombat, I guess? Okay, second question. Which one of these Valentine's Day facts are true? Was it A? St. Valentine and St. Nicholas were actually friends who bonded over their love of holidays. B, those little heart-shaped candies with cute messages on them used to be used as actual chalk. Or C, we're not even sure who St. Valentine was. Well, we know who St. Valentine was. He was a priest mm. who, I Do believe he, he married, or this is the story, right? It's like he performed weddings that he wasn't supposed to, and that's why he was associated with love. I forget why he was not supposed to perform these weddings. It was like star-crossed lovers or something like that. Um, but maybe that's just the legend and there's some fact. Mm, maybe, that the, maybe, could be. maybe it's just and a legend. I'm, 
I'm trying Maybe to think I'm of, steering um, you towards the right answer. No, no, I know. No, I'm just talking it out because I don't, <laughs> I mean, St. Nicholas is from the 300s. And if we don't know when the guy was, uh, St. Uh, Valentine's was born, the answer must be, according to my calculations, carry the two. It is C. You are correct. Wow. Because apparently Valentine was a really common name. And so uh-huh. there are actually two St. Valentines in the same era that they, that their stories are crossed. So we're not sure which one is like there's the St. Valentine of Rome and St. Valentine of Terni. So how did they know who they're canonizing? Uh, so there, there was a, there was somebody's bones who were buried somewhere where they think it's one of them, but they, but there's argument over which one it is. Hmm. But, but like, but the stories that you were talking about are true and attributed to at least to one of them, but they're not sure if it's like a combination of the two. Like they don't, they're, they, the records aren't clear enough to know which St. Valentine is the one that we're talking about. Like, well, I think it's 90% sure it's St. Valentine of Rome, but there's that, you know, you know, scientists and, you know, never want to say without certain, without proof, like X is X is the answer. And mm-hmm. I, that, and so that is on a technicality, we don't technically know which Valentine they're talking about. And apparently there was like 12 other Valentines in, uh, in the, uh, in that era as well. Uh, none of them are saints, but okay, like but that's how like, clear. <laughs> you still have to get your wife flowers on Valentine's Day. This isn't a get <laughs> yes. out of jail free at all. <laughs> okay, this is exciting. If you get this one right, you win our prize for David. Here's the final question. This is for the game. Mm-hmm. I have faith in you. The, the The Christmas spirit will take you through any holiday. It usually does. Particularly this one, which is right after Christmas, New Year's. So. Which of these is true about these New Year's traditions? A, New Year's resolutions originated from Albert Einstein, who began the tradition in 1937. B, the New Year's kiss at midnight originated in ancient Rome. C, the New York Times Square ball drop started by accident when a leftover Christmas decoration fell at exactly midnight in 1916. Oh, I really want it to be C. I'm going to talk this out again. I cannot believe... A person starting a trip, I mean, it usually isn't that clean. Um, and there's, you know, there's no way to prove that other people didn't do something before Einstein. Kissing mm-hmm. at midnight in ancient Rome would only be possible if if everyone had a clock. Um, or at least that maybe it would be done, I don't know, for important people who did have an accurate way of telling time. Or, yeah, yeah. maybe they were important people who sort of set the stage for other people. yeah. Yeah, and I, th- I would love to believe that it, uh, the the ball drop was a happy accident, but um, I don't know if I can do that. So I'm going to say B. You are correct. Yay! It was part of the Saturnalia Festival, which uh, we know as Christmas podcasters, a lot of those traditions from Saturnalia ended up in Christmas, mm-hmm. and uh, this particular uh, tradition as Saturn. Uh, the Saturn was the god they are celebrating. Saturn is the god of time, and so. Uh, to mark the new year. Maybe it wasn't midnight, but the idea of kissing at the start of the new year comes from the Saturnalia festival. Perfect. There's a lot of, a lot of stuff around Saturnalia that we can thank goodness never made it into Christmas. <laughs> yes. um, one, yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of, yeah, the stuff you're probably thinking of, um, <laughs> but there was also a big part of Christmas a long time ago was this notion of social inversion where normal social roles were just like topsy turvy, right? The people yes. who normally have higher status would have lower status and vice versa. And it, you know, kind of lent to the, the frivolity of it, right? Because you're sort of taking things out of their normal flow. Uh, and then that, that's just something 
I can't think of any example like that that we have now. <sighs> I mean, maybe it's like we let kids be kids a little bit more, but um, yeah, that that's largely gone from Christmas nowadays. Yeah, I mean, maybe April Fool's Day is kind of like that, where every, but it's even then, it's not like a reversal of roles. Where it's not like where the servant becomes the master, and the ma- and not also we try to avoid having servants these days and age. <laughs> but uh, but even during Christmas, one of the things a church would do is is assign a boy bishop, where you know like one of the kids would essentially be running the church, like not for real, but it would just be like part of you know <laughs> the the act that everyone went through. Um, yeah, and like you said, it would be more of you know like the the, the servants would be the served and vice versa. And I think, you know, there'd be all kinds of like cross dressing going on and things like that. And I think, you know, we, we do that a little bit in Halloween or mm-hmm. even New Year's Eve where it just becomes socially acceptable to be drunk or, or things or, to, you know, to behave <laughs> in ways that we don't normal. So I think that's more of a general, um, I don't know, tendency of, of festivities as we kind of behave a little bit differently, but nowhere near to the extent that we did before. So, imaginary listener, it sounds kind of like Kermit the Frog. Did Brian Earl do well enough to win our quiz? Brian got two right, which means David from Indiana is a winner! Yay! All right, now you're pushing the Kermit the Frog similarities too far. Sorry. Congratulations, David. I will email you after we wrap up here so we can get your information and send you a copy of Christmas Past, the fascinating stories behind our favorite holiday traditions. It is available right now. It dropped November 1st. The day, if you're listening to this episode, the day it dropped, you are, you can be one of the first to grab it. If you're listening to this episode later, don't kick yourself. Just go buy the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, where can they, where can they get the book besides Amazon and places like that? Well, it is available as they say at better booksellers everywhere. Uh, so it's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, Indiegogo. Uh, you can even go to romanlittlefield.com. That's the actual publisher. Buy it directly there. It's also available in hardcover as an ebook and as an audiobook from Recorded Books, which I narrated. So you can go to Recorded Books. If you have an Amazon, you can get it through their your Audible account there. Um, yeah. And you just might find it on the shelves of your local bookstore. Nice. And after listening to this episode, if you're like, I... If you're one of the people who somehow haven't heard the Christmas Past podcast and you're like, I want my more Brian Earl in my life, christmaspastpodcast.com. He's also on iTunes, uh, I assume Spotify, things like that. Where Wherever the finest quality podcasts can be found, you can find the Christmas Past podcast hosted by Brian Earl. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Tim. This was a blast. And Merry Christmas Podcast Day. Yes, and to you, and to all your listeners as well. You know what you should get someone as a gift for Christmas Podcast Day? Oh! I've got an idea. I, I wonder what it could be. The book does make a great <laughs> gift, though. I will say that. Yeah, especially if you have, like, if you're listening to this, you probably are the Christmas fan in your life, but I bet you know someone else who is a Christmas fan who would benefit from the book. Someone you've probably told to listen to Christmas podcasts before. Now you have something physical like here. Listen, if listen, if you curmudgeonly won't listen to the podcast, check out this book. You'll love it. Yeah, but but be good to yourself. Don't just buy a copy for every single Christmas <laughs> lover in your life. Get one for yourself too. You deserve it. <laughs> Giving starts at home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks again. And that's our show. Thanks once again to Brian Earl for stopping by the Christmas Cave. Be sure to check out the show notes for more info on how to grab his new book. And I've also got plenty of links for you to use to stream the Kelly Clarkson song Underneath the Tree. I really think if we all work together, we can get that song to the top of the Christmas charts this year. And all it will take is listening to an awesome song. 
We'll be back again November 25th with our regularly scheduled episode. In the meantime, check out the hashtag Christmas Podcast Day to find even more Christmas content to enjoy today. And until next time, Yule Believers, keep laughing all the way. And that was Christmas 1983. Actually, Dad, it's 2022. Oh. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, a.k.a. iTunes, and email us about it at christmas at tancast.com, we'll send you a free Can't Wait for Christmas sticker. If you'd like to see the show notes or leave a comment on this or any other episodes, you can go to our official website, Can't Wait for Christmas pod.com. While you're there, you'll find a link to our official Zazzle store where you can grab customizable t-shirts, ornaments, stickers, and all sorts of other Christmas-themed items all year long. We'd love to connect with you on social media. On Facebook and Instagram, we are Can't Wait for Christmas Pod. And on Twitter, we are at Christmas Pod. We Wish You a Merry Christmas was performed by the United States Marine Corps Band, and this amazing version of Jingle Bells on the accordion was performed by the wonderful and talented Christian Nowicki. All other music and sounds used in this episode are the properties of their individual copyright holders, and they are used for purposes of commentary and review. No infringement is intended. Okay, boys, did I forget anything? God bless us, everyone. Merry Christmas! To close out our interview, I thought I would steal a bit from one of my favorite NPR shows, which is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Mm-hmm. And they have a segment at the end of their show called Not My Job, where they ask the expert, They, sorry, I won't call you an expert. I will call you a, <laughs> <laughs> a, a excellent um, researcher and presenter. Like, there's no good word for that. <laughs> yeah, just a podcaster. How about that? A guru. A Christmas <laughs> guru. <laughs> is that a thing? I don't know, but I just made it one. Uh, those little heart candies with the cute messages on them used to be used as actual chalk or i'm not saying a b or c (laughs) i will do that again i'm I'm keeping track (laughs) okay for well just for the a clean recording i'm gonna do that again okay is it a saint valentine and saint nicholas were actually friends who bonded over their love of the holidays nope that nope one more time Whew. Good thing I'm not Peter Sagal, because he does this live. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, well, now let's look at your score. It's see, let's ask the imaginary listener. Sounds kind of like Kermit the Frog. Well, he got two out of three questions right, which means he won our prize for a listener. Yay! <laughs> Sorry. You ever realize in the middle of something how ridiculous he sounds? <laughs> 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 <laughs>